following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. So I, I had this whole thing planned out the other day in my head, like after the Cowboys demolished the Packers on on Sunday, I was going to go on my phone and I was going to find, you know, this eight second clip of Jimmy Johnson in the locker room in 1992 after they beat the San Francisco 49ers to go to their first Super Bowl in that run and just play that little clip of how about them Cowboys? But Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love and Aaron Jones just they they wrecked my whole my whole plan. So I, I guess I gotta <laughs> say, how about them Packers? Wow. I don't uh I did not ha- having not yet fully recovered from the flu, I put no energy into cheering. Like I didn't raise my voice and I didn't have any expectations. But I can't remember saying wow or are you kidding me so many times in such a calm level. I couldn't even believe what I was watching unfold. I mean, I texted you at one point. I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm just sitting here laughing at this. Like it was like it it, it was almost like a Madden game, like where there's like two friends both think they're good at Madden and they're like, All right, I'm better than you, you're better than me. All right, well let's play. And then you play, and one dude just absolutely demolishes the other dude. You're like, "Holy shit, what just happened?" It was like it was twenty-seven to nothing. Yep. Like immediately, it, it felt like. I mean, I know it was like midway through the second quarter, but if it, it was like, this game's over." Holy shit! I think when it really started to turn for me, and I. I I think it's like that with everybody else where it was believable that this might be uh, the path that the game was on was when uh, Savage returned that interception. And you're like, okay, this is an absolute route. Like, yeah, the offense has carved up the defense. Guys are running free downfield. Lafleur is just absolutely torching uh, the Cowboys' defense. And then if the defense for the Packers is making plays and giving them points, then you know that it's not your day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) has has an NFL playoff game ever been decided on the opening coin flip before? Because I think this one was. the, the, The Packers electing to receive the ball and then immediately just walking down the field and shoving it down the Cowboys' throat and being up 7 nothing, I felt like, honestly, looking back on it now, like, that really was it. Like, the Cowboys were shook immediately. You could see it. You could see it with, with the Dak C.D. Lamb, like, weirdness that was going on early in the game. 
McCarthy had this dead fish look on his face after that first touchdown. They had like three really stupid, undisciplined, typical McCarthy team penalties on like the first two possessions of the game. It just felt like the Packers kind of, you know, switching up their script on that just completely threw Dallas for a loop. I was, I can never figure out the coin toss on what they're thinking. And I know they go through it and sometimes it's a feeling and we kind of talked about it with um, uh, Jace Rindle, the Whitewater coach on how he handles his approach and he goes through it with his captains. And generally it's not something that's totally 100% decided until you're going through warmups. And it sounds like that's the way that when Lafleur talked about it, because nobody really asked him about the coin flip until it became a thing when Alexander jumped in there a couple of weeks ago, um, you know. But that's it. Sounds like that's the same formula that some of these coaches go through. You know, the defer option is generally the popular one because you know they want maybe a team to make a mistake and then you know get the ball at the second half. I mean, teams you know sometimes do that, but. I don't blame the offense right now for how it's looked in the last few weeks for putting them out there and setting the tone. And it's to me, it's kind of silly when you're Dallas and you have this offense and you haven't lost at home and it, and you're going to get the ball at the second half anyway. It's like, okay, so what? So a team drove right down the field and they scored. We can do that too. But it's amazing how much it takes you out of your game. But it also takes the crowd out of the game immediately. Like that place for the whiteout and whatever for how many go pack go chance and I mean that was that was unbelievable how much that took Dallas immediately out of its own environment. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know what? Whatever, whatever the process was for the coin flip, I mean it was it was a stroke of genius because. Um, of all the things you said, just going down and, and, and shutting everybody up. And, you know, I, it's one of those things that it's hard to, it's hard to quantify. I think when you're sitting at home and you're watching, but you know, anybody that's played sports at a, at a competitive level and maybe been on a good team, like when you get into these kind of situations, especially in a one and done, you know, NCAA tournament style playoff, like being the underdog is not a bad thing. You know, there's so much pressure on Dallas, on McCarthy, on Dak to not only win the game, but like they're, they were, I'm sure everybody in that organization thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl. And, right. you know, when you, you're, you're four or five minutes into the playoffs and you're already down seven to nothing. Um, I, I think that it just, it jolted them and, you know, they, they weren't, they just, I don't know. It was weird, man. Like they just, they didn't seem prepared for the game and, you know, defensively, uh, Greg Olson, I thought did a great job on the broadcast. He brought it up, talked about it a lot. Dallas was a man to man team all year. You know they were they were one of the best teams in turning you over. They they got tons of interceptions. Uh, one of their corners, Bland, I think he led the NFL in interceptions this year. It it allowed Micah Parsons to get after the quarterback. And then for some reason, 
they were just playing a ton of zone. And I thought early on it allowed Jordan Love to really get into a rhythm because the Packer receivers were wide-ass open the whole time. And I think I, I think Love only – he got hit pretty good a couple times, but he only had four pressures on him the mm-hmm. whole game, which is a great job by the uh, by the offensive line of the Packers. So, I mean, for the most part, he's kind of got a clean window to throw through and – I mean, it's it's a zone. It's not hard to throw against a zone. These guys, there's there's pockets, and Dallas never adjusted. Um, you know, Dan Quinn, he's a, a head coaching candidate for a couple teams. I don't know. Maybe you know, was that a distraction for him last week? I I don't know. But that team defensively to start with, they didn't look like they had a clue what to do. I thought the blitz pickup, and they did try and bring pressure from a lot of different side they were running stunts up the middle I thought Green Bay's offensive line handled it seamless and I thought the blitz pickup by Aaron Jones and uh, Wilson with Dylan out I thought they they did a masterful job and even when Love had to run for his life a couple of times like you said there were, there were very few pressures but the guys would come back to the ball and Love always seemed to find a guy that had settled down in space yeah or, or had, you know, gotten handed off from a linebacker to a corner or a safety and nobody had really closed and there were guys that were wide open and then they just outran everybody. The yards after the catch were ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I thought Love was really calm, cool, and collected under pressure uh, the, the few times that he was. And the other times the pocket was generally clean. And, you know, I don't, I don't care how close you are in the back on, on the back end with, you know, defensive backs and receivers. If you're giving this guy time in the pocket, you know, anybody can beat you. Sure. So the fact that they weren't getting much pressure, I mean, a complete credit to Green Bay's offensive line, and they, they just keep finding ways to do this with offensive lines. I don't know how many different combinations they've had so far this year, um, but they are really playing really well, um, I think, when it, when it obviously matters the most. Yeah, they they really have, and and uh, you know, regardless of what you think of the Bears, um, they had a pretty good defense, especially at the end of the season, and the Packers carved them up pretty good in week week eighteen, and then to do this to Dallas again, um, you know, Love has been very good. Uh, I think, you know, Matt Lafleur is on a heater right now. And it, it it's like it kind of reminds you of like a a pitcher in baseball where like they're just everything every pitch at the right time in the right location they're just getting every call they're throwing they're you know they're they're striking guys out they're catching them looking it feels like that with the way Lafleur has been calling these games the last couple of weeks he's been pretty damn flawless and you know I think we were both. Somewhat critical of him, you know, the last year, year and a half of, you know, is he kind of an Aaron Rodgers uh, creation? Well, not creation, but, you know, attachment. Or is he actually a good good coach and a good play caller? I think he's proven here in the last month, six weeks. Uh, he's a pretty good coach. And what, what Jordan Love has done the second half of the season with his just individual improvement has been pretty stunning. 
and you know, but like the offensive line has been good, and I I, I really think the difference for the Packers is Aaron Jones and getting him back. He's, you know, he's a legit all pro level player and he's a lot better than AJ Dillon and he can do so many more things and he's so much more, uh, you have to game plan for him so much more than you would for an AJ Dillon and him just coming back here in the last month and kicking ass. I think I, I told you, the best thing that happened to the Packers this year, I think, has been Aaron Jones missing half the season because it maintained his legs. He was able to rest for eight, ten weeks, not take all those extra hits, and it forced the rest of the offense to play without him. And, you know, it forced Jordan Love to maybe, you know, have a little bit more on his shoulders than the Packers wanted him to, and he had to rely on some of these young receivers who have turned out to be pretty pretty good young players. I think even though you had that big losing streak and they were, what, two and six at one point, and then they lost a couple of horrendous games uh, towards the back half of the season, the fact that you're forcing this first-year starting quarterback to play without his best offensive weapon in Jones, whether you know he's the best in the backfield and can go out uh, for passes, Christian Watson has been missing, and he hasn't been that spectacular even when he's been in. But, you know, your your top two tight ends that you drafted, Musgraves has been out uh, with that lacerated kidney. So him trying to find and form relationships and chemistry with all these different guys has been completely beneficial. Yeah, the, the road bumps on there were clear that they had to, you know, go over those and, you know, get through a lot of the challenges with not a whole lot of offensive cohesion because the the regularity of guys in the lineup was completely inconsistent. Um, I think that, how, like, like the Jones absence, completely helped him, forced him to find new guys, exploit their talents. I mean, practice squad guy Bo Melton, Everybody on on the team has raved about this guy. Another rookie, Dontavian Wick. Um, you know, where are these guys coming from? Why are they so good? Why are opposing defenses getting shredded by these dudes? Because you don't see the effectiveness usually from these guys from the practice squad or in their first year as a rookie as a draft pick. So, I mean, but the tight ends have been and good. Tucker Kraft isn't a world beater down the field, but He's been really good too. Is he the uh, one? I is think, he the one that caught the wide open touchdown? Uh, was it him or was it Musgrave? I don't remember. Uh, I, I think it was Musgrave. Okay, I heard. Um, I heard that was um, that was the most wide open any player has been on any play all season in the league. It was like seventeen point <laughs> eight yards was the closest <laughs> Dallas player. I love that they have analytics for that. Isn't that funny? But like that—that that was one. You and you had texted me. You're like, these are just these are just flat out blown coverages. Like, what are? Yeah, they're not missed. They're not missed. They mis- yeah, no. They. I can. I can understand if you can't hand somebody off or you miss a step or you stumble or whatever. How do you let a guy get that wide open? I mean, that's inexcusable. And that's the type of stuff. Like honestly, I like you said with with Quinn and worried about maybe you know, head coaching future opportunities or whatever, um, and not totally focused on the game plan. I mean, 
this is the type of game to me that should get a defensive coordinator fired. hundred I mean, percent. Yeah. That, that is flat out embarrassing what that Green Bay offense did to your defense at home where you hadn't lost a game all year. Yeah, I don't know how if you're if you're Seattle, which is one of the teams rumored to be looking at him because he used to be their D coordinator. I don't know how you look at this game and then you couple it with he you know, he blew a twenty eight to three lead in a Super Bowl too. Like same guy. So in like maybe arguably the two biggest games of his life or two of the biggest games of his life, he's completely pissed down his leg. Like I don't know how you go out and hire a guy like that. That I don't know. I don't get a lot of the um, the resumes that people put up. Like it almost reminds me of the stories when people say, you know, when you get to heaven and you're standing at the pearly gates, and you know there are questions. Like if you're in these interviews, don't you have a list of questions about games like this that owners and general managers are asking you? What, what happened with this game? Yeah. Because I would just be curious what he would say about it, how he would answer those questions. Ah, McCarthy and told he, me to do it. <laughs> you can't write. Like, well, I'll just blame it on the head coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, it's the same thing with the Bears. And, you know, they're they're interviewing the offensive coordinator for the worst team in football. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Last in points, last in yards, second to last in passing yards. Don't you sit down and be like, "So, why or why did you got? Where were you guys so bad?" Like, I I don't understand that, and I would be curious about how Quinn would answer some of those questions. Yeah, so the Bears are interviewing Cliff Kingsbury for the OC job, and I yep. mean, listen, he he. He had like a year and a half of good times with Kyler Murray in Arizona, right. and that was really it. And it was one of those things where um, he probably shouldn't have ever been a head coach in the first place. I think he is a coordinator. Um, but, yeah, you know, the end of his tenure was bad. So there are certainly things he's he's got to be able to come up with satisfactory answers for. That's for certain. How do you run this back? Like, I was a little bit surprised about Jerry Jones having McCarthy back. And, like, a good a good regular season record, fine. You got two division championships, fine. But your record in the playoffs and home losses in the wild card round, to me, that's, inex- that's inexcusable. Like, yeah, it's great winning games and we can amass records and stats and have these Pro Bowl dudes and all pros. But then when it really, really matters, to me, that's that's where you either put all your chips in or you're cashing out. Because to me, that would be the biggest measuring stick. Like, yeah, great regular season coach, comes to the playoffs, can't win. Well, why do we want him then? You think all of a sudden that's going to change? Yeah, it feels like... Jerry Jones has kind of moved the goalpost, right? Like he's always right. he's always kind of maintained the Cowboys are a Super Bowl or bust franchise, but obviously you're not because you're bringing Mike McCarthy back next year. And you know whether you think he should be fired or not is irrelevant. Um, the fact that they're bringing him back after two pretty bad flameouts in a row in the playoffs, back to back years, and not only that, but when you look at some of the coaches who are available right now, 
Um, <clears throat> I think there's there's three guys I could tell you right now are an upgrade over Mike McCarthy, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Jim Harbaugh. Right. All three of those guys are significant upgrades over Mike McCarthy as a head football coach. Now, you know, Pete Carroll's a defensive coach. Uh, Bill Belichick's a defensive coach. If you hire one of those guys, you're going to have to get a good offensive coordinator because one thing McCarthy you do have to give him credit for, he, Dak has gotten better, I, I mean, I guess in the regular season and statistically under McCarthy. So you got to give him something for that. But I don't know, man. It, it, it's, it is strange because for, for Dallas, I think this is just who Dak is. Like, he's a... He's very Romo like, where it's like, yeah, he's good. He's not. He'll never be great. I'm not even sure he can be great in a when he needs to be great, even one time, let alone having to do it three or four times in the playoffs. And he's like, I think he's 30 or 31, and they have to decide next year whether or not they're going to extend him. And now you're talking about paying paying him you know, what, $60 million, and you're going to have to pay Micah Parsons, and you're going to have to pay CeeDee Lamb. Like, you're not you're not winning with these guys when they're on cheap contracts, so why would you win with them when they're on expensive ones? And to me, you, you put that quarterback and the coach in lockstep because you can get regular season stats and, you know, accolades and all that stuff, but you get to the playoffs, and, and Dak was – terrible um in that for about for about the first two and a half quarters until green bay and well not inexplicably but that was very predictable how they called the dogs off a little bit early and then all of a sudden they put down you know, they put together a couple of touchdown drives where they're getting 10 15 20 yards of pop down the field um because green bay's backing off the line and they're dropping into zone and receivers are just wide open and there's not much pass rush but that's when he actually starts. Well, okay, anybody can look like that when the defense is giving you what they're giving exactly. you. Exactly. Who cares? Yeah. Who? Somebody was, I think Rex Ryan was trying to say the next day that Dak played well, then he started going down his numbers. It's like, who gives a shit about his number? His numbers were didn't matter. Like, he sucked when, it, he sucked when the game mattered. Right. And then you're once, busy. Yeah, once you're the busy game sucking, got out of hand, well, you, you, it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, 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 the Packers are putting up this big lead and you're failing to uh, stay with them and you're digging yourself a hole and you're throwing pick sixes. I mean, that's what I'm measuring. For sure. I'm not measuring the fact that you're leading the offense back because the defense is basically calling off the dogs. Yeah. I mean, Jake Ferguson ends up with three touchdowns. And that, and that looks great on paper. It's like, well, where was he the first 25 minutes of the game? Right. He didn't do shit. No. You know, so. No, at the end of the day, you'll look at the box score. He had a good game. Right. Did he? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's just, you know, if if I was Jerry Jones, I'd be on the phone calling up, like, the Raiders and being like, hey, want to send us the sixth pick for Dak? (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just start this clock over. We got a lot of young talent. We got two studs that are young. And Lamb and Parsons, let's you know, let's try to get a Jaden Daniels or Bo Nix and see what we can see what happens because this this is not going to work. 
Like that would, and that's the thing that would too. Be really interesting. You got to look around the conference, right? Like Jalen Hurts is still young, and Philadelphia, regardless of what happened, they got talent. Uh, the Packers aren't going anywhere but up. The Lions seem to be like they're going to be hanging around for a while. The Bear, right. the Bears might be getting a, the number one pick. It could be Caleb Williams, and who knows what he ends up being. Um, Brock Purdy in the Niners, they don't seem to be going anywhere. So, like, if you're Dallas, what what do you have to have happen for you to even have a chance to make the conference f- championship? No, <laughs> you know what I right mean? now you're not you're not keeping pace, and you're not getting better. No, no, it's uh, listen. It's hilarious when this happens to the Cowboys. It just is. <laughs> I it's not like I hate the Cowboys or anything, but it is funny when it happens to them. And I would they wholeheartedly just, agree. And and for being quote unquote America's team and for being the most talked about NFL franchise of certainly of our lifetime, they have stepped on the banana peel more than any team I can I can think of. It's just it's pretty amazing. They certainly have not delivered when it's it's mattered most. And for a team that has that, like you said, has those labels, you would think by now or at least lately, you'd have done something. Yeah, and you really have. Oh, they've only been shitty four. Only four sub five hundred teams in like the last thirty years. And, like, two of those were one year Romo got hurt, one year Dak broke his ankle. So they've never been god-awful, but they're just, no. they just they just kind of hang out in the middle. You know, make a bunch of money, yeah. fatten Jerry Jones' bank account, and that's kind of it. Yeah, you, you draw a bunch of fans, you win a bunch of games at home, congratulations, and then you get to the playoffs and nothing happens. Yeah, amazing job beating those Redskins, you know. Right. Or, I'm sorry, Commanders, whatever they're called. It, does, it doesn't matter. No, I'm not sorry. Or, anyway. or, or, the, or the Giants. <laughs> right. All right, you got anything else on this game? You want to keep it moving? Uh, no, no, we can keep moving. That's all good. It was it was just it was unbelievable to watch, you know, as just watching it unfold. My, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and I haven't checked in on my, on my in-laws, um, one of Jane's sister's, her husband's a huge Cowboys fan. I haven't, I didn't, I don't feel the need to text people. Like she checked in, she goes on uh, Monday, she goes, so how's everybody doing over there? And she goes, Oh, we're just fine. I don't think she actually understood that Jane was referring to the football game. Right. Right. <laughs> Cause they're all, they're all Dak Prescott Jersey wearing folks. That That's, that's a, that's a tough life to live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he and I don't, we talk a little football during the holidays when we get together, but it's it's always pain with him. It's like it's like talking with you about the Bears, about you know how there's so many aspirations and this, that, and the other, and then at the end of the day, nothing happens. Yeah, well, that's why you're a Packer fan, and you guys are pretty fortunate most of the time. So I I thank my lucky stars. All right, the rest of uh, the wild card results from the weekend. Uh, Saturday's games, first game, Houston uh, over Cleveland, forty-five to fourteen, and this this was a kind of a parallel, a little bit to the Packer Cowboy game, where um, first play from scrimmage, Houston throws a bomb, immediately scores, punches Cleveland right in the mouth, and it was another situation where 
you know, Cleveland and Dallas, two of the three or four best defenses in football all season, got completely shredded. And part of that was due to some pretty shitty quarterback play. I think we were all kind of waiting for that out of Flacco, and, and, and we got it on Saturday. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed for him. I know he's done it plenty of times in the playoffs um, with his teams in, in the past, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's a reason why you were available on your couch when they called. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you can pull off a you know a little magic in the regular season, but this is one of those examples that shows you why playoffs are, are a different animal. And it it sucks for him, but he got you know he got to revive his career just a little bit. I don't think it's going to mean anything going forward. But it's to me that like I felt bad for him. That's a really tough way to exit. Yeah, and and listen, I I know some Browns fans, and um, they had a hell of a season, all things <laughs> considered. Um, mm-hmm. I think they ended up using like four starting quarterbacks. Um, you know, you lose Nick Chubb five minutes into the season. Right. Um, you had tons of other injuries, so I, I think for them to win what what they win eleven games, I think in the regular season, um, pretty pretty impressive, and you know something for them to build on. Now they just got to try to figure out uh, that whether or not Deshaun Watson can still play football. Right. But um, but no, other than that, I mean, C.J. Stroud and you know maybe the best rookie quarterback season ever uh, keeps it going. So that'll be That's really impressive. I mean, you know, they found their quarterback, they found their coach. Uh I I don't if I'm a Houston Texans fan and I don't know any, um, I think you gotta be really excited for the future of that franchise. Totally. I, I, I just think it's cool as just a football fan, right? I mean right. I have no stake in whether or not Houston's any good, but it's like, oh, you know, they hit on the draft, they took a chance on a on a rookie head coach, it seems to have worked. We'll see if it was a fluke next year and or whether or not they can sustain it, but good for them. Yep. All right, the other game on uh, on Saturday night, which I didn't see a second of because it was on Peacock and I wasn't paying extra for a fucking premium to watch this shitty-ass <laughs> game. Kansas City 26, Miami 7. Miami uh, proves what most of us thought about them all year. They were frauds. Um, you know, they were very cowboy-like. They beat up on some pretty shitty teams at home weren't very good on the road, couldn't beat good teams, and can't play in the cold. I think that pretty much sums it up. And Tua is Tua's just a guy. You drew the perfect parallel of what I was going to mention to to the team uh, in comparison. Cowboys. Yeah. You know, you, you can get you can get in the in in the discussions about, you know, how good and what the future is and how things are looking up and whatever, and then you get to the playoffs and you're done. Yeah, and, and listen, I mean, Mike McDaniel, um, everybody kind of seems to have kind of jumped on his bandwagon, and, and they did some nice things offensively this year. But like you said, the playoffs are a whole different animal, and yep. when you're going up against a guy like Andy Reid in your first playoff game, that's usually not going to work out well for you. And... uh that was certainly the case Saturday night. So Chiefs moving on. Um, Sunday, we already talked about the Packer game. Lions 24, Rams 23, and what was really a a really good game. Um, I really thought the Rams were going to pull this one out at the end. I'm happy that Detroit is moving on. 
Uh, good for Jared Goff. Good for Dan Campbell. It's kind of cool to see a team like Detroit, who uh, is one of the only teams that's had more futility in my life than the Bears. And, um, you know, I have, even though the Lions are quote unquote rivals, like, I have no beef with Detroit. Right. So, like, seeing that, it's not like it's the Vikings. So, good for them. They get another home game. They have an opportunity to win that 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 next game too. But did did you get to see any of this one? No, and I didn't get to watch a lot of the a lot of the playoffs after um, after the Packer game or outside of the Packer. Game. I watched a little, probably the most of the Houston Cleveland game. Um, I I love how this speaks positively of the division because now the four teams left in the NFC, two are out of the North. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, all the all the reasons that Detroit is where they are, I'm happy for, because there's been so much futility and so many head coaches and just so much roster turnover. Um, and the fact that I, I think, you know, I feel I felt bad for Jared Goff because everybody was thinking that the Rams got the better of that quarterback swap. And now all of a sudden they're winning the division. They have a home game. Um, you know, they get to, they get to host again. I mean, good for them. So I, I'm really happy for them, but at the same time, for how good that team might be and who's on it and who the head coach is, I just can't convince myself that the lions right now are the fourth best team in the NFC. It's just weird to me. Mm -hmm. I can't explain it. No, I, I hear you. It, like we've said, they they basically have to win the Super Bowl for us to believe. Right. That's basically it. And even then, I'll be kind of like, ah, yeah, maybe kind of a fluke, right? <laughs> uh, but, boy, I'll tell you what, that Puka Nakua on the Rams is legit. That is a That dude is a stud. Yeah. Yeah, he's legit. I mean, Cooper Cup and, um, you know, he's probably on the on – the, downside of his career but they've they've got his replacement in that kid he is he is impressive um all right monday nights well monday afternoon this one got moved from sunday because it was uh of the blizzard knowing yeah buffalo 31 pittsburgh 17 didn't see much of that game uh pretty much ended up i think the way most people thought and i then, did watch yeah i did watch some of it and again i will stick with my um comparison of the pittsburgh offense to iowa they yeah. just they have so many problems moving the football, and the defense just can't hold their wa hold their water anymore. I mean, they just can't. They got to do something other than give it to Najee Harris a bunch of times because they it's it's just bad. And now I read something uh, today that looks like they're going to bring back Mason Rudolph to battle with Kenny Pickett. It's like that's who they're going to go into the season with again. Tomlin's going to be back. He always does a good job, but. It's, I don't think either of those two guys is is the answer moving forward. You got to find some way to make your offense more explosive. I don't know that he fits there, and I don't know that he takes you to the promised land. But I think he's an upgrade. Like that's one of those Kirk Cousins type of teams that could be looking at a guy like that. Like you know, maybe for two years, throw right. him in there, Bridge. and you know, maybe maybe something we could get a little bit of luck and make a run, but. This this they had no chance in this game without TJ Watt. They just didn't. No. So and then in the shocker of the weekend, other than the Packer no game, 
Um, but maybe it shouldn't have been. Tampa, Tampa Bay 32, Philadelphia 9. Um, you know, when Julio Jones is out there running around as one of your two main targets in 2024, you're in trouble offensively. Their Philadelphia's defense has been a, a garbage dump the entire season, and uh, they kind of look like they quit. You know, they just kind of look like they had quit. They had had it. Jason Kelsey literally quit after the game. Um. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, Jordan Love, and Brock Purdy are your four NFC quarterbacks. I mean, seriously. One of those uh, one of who, those four guys is going to start in the Super Bowl this year. Think about put, that. Put them in order. Who's who's the best remaining <sighs> number me one through four of those four quarterbacks? Who 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 the best is right? Man, I, right now, I'd probably go Purdy, Love, Goff, Baker. Maybe you could maybe you could argue Love's number one right now the way he's playing right now, um, but I mean I I don't trust any of the four. No, I mean any of those Baker, four could have massive blow up games. Baker Mayfield could revert back to himself. Goff has had his moments where he's just a guy. Love is just in his he's first just, year. He's a, yeah, he's a kid. And Brock Purdy is like, I mean, he's seriously, we're going to well, go with Mister Irrelevant? Well, shit, he's only—he's a kid. He's probably younger than Jordan Love. He's got what? Right. He's got what? Like one playoff game, and then he got murdered like in the first quarter of the conference championship game and got knocked out. So basically, he's played the same amount of playoff games as Jordan Love has. One, and he hasn't—and <laughs> he hasn't held the clipboard as long. Right. Yeah, that's that's man, that's wild. All right, so the d- divisional matchups start Saturday. Houston at Baltimore Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, this Baltimore team, them losing Mark Edwards is a little bit similar to the Packers losing Aaron Jones where it seems like it's forced Lamar to kind of spread it around a little bit more, and I think that's been really good for Baltimore. I, I like them in this game to win, but it would be cooler than shit if Houston went in there and was able to knock them off. I just love finally that an Ohio State, well, I don't love it, but an Ohio State quarterback is actually not a bust. Yeah. Well, hey, come on. Bust. Well. <laughs> no, I, right. I, no I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you. No, it's, it, you're right. And, I mean, C.J. Stroud, Lamar Jackson is a pretty good, that's a cool matchup, right? I mean. Yo, completely. Those are fun completely. guys to watch. Lamar, the, you know, the savvy veteran, but again. Now are we going to get to the point with the Ravens that the Cowboys have been in? Yes. Baltimore gets the number one seed. They've been here before. Can they do anything in the postseason? Do they revert back to a team that can't move the football? It seems different this year, but still at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not, it's not like I'm giving Houston a, a good puncher's chance in this game. Well, but they got you no know, pressure. The, the, zero, like... C.J. Stroud right. could throw three picks, and people will go, right. ah, well, you know, he's a rookie. This is his first road playoff game, yada, yada, yada. But, like, if Lamar throws two picks and they lose, oh, man, he's overpaid. You're, he can't win in the playoffs. He's just, you know, this right. is why you you're can't the, win with a running quarterback, all that stuff. You're you're in the Dallas conversation about, well, you can get us there, but 
the only thing you can do. Right. All right, Saturday night, Green Bay at San Francisco. Um, seems like the last Green Bay-San Francisco Saturday night playoff game I remember was the Kaepernick game. Oh, I, I, I remember being at a bar for that, watching him just run wild all over that Packer defense. Um, thankfully for you guys, that won't be happening Saturday. But listen, you hate when I do this, but I'm oh, going to do it anyway. As much as it pains me to say this, you really like the Packers in this game? There is a whiff of 2010 in the air with this Packer team. Oh, boy. Not very good during the first 75% of the regular season. Start to turn it on at the end of the year. Pull off a little bit of an upset in the first playoff game. I mean, the NFC, we've kind of talked about it. Like, it's not that strong. I mean, the 49ers are a good team. Right. But, you know, they're, they've shown they're, you can beat them. They're not, they don't really scare you that much. And you have an opportunity in the conference championship, if you were to advance, to play a division rival in their place who you own. And you just beat the shit out of them on Thanksgiving in their place. There's, there's a road. It's crazy. I'm, I, I, I believe me. I'm not enjoying saying it, <laughs> but there's a road. I'm not going to pick the them to would, beat the Niners. I think they will cover the spread. The spread's like ten and a half. I, I ten and a half. I see no way that this is more than a three to six point game. Um, but I, I'm going with the Niners because of their experience at home, and I think if there's Anybody right now that can match wits with Lafleur, it's probably Shanahan. But the 49ers suck when they're trailing, so I will. I expect the Packers to take the ball again this week if they have the opportunity to, and try to score immediately. The team that has been the most pain in the ass for the Packers lately in the playoffs has been San Francisco. Yep. So you're kind of uh, due, um, right? You're kind of due. Yep. Yeah, but. And and as much as the Cowboys' defense has been good, this pass rush always seems to cause problems. The defensive matchups are plentiful with McCaffrey and Debo, and I'm just worried about guys running wild. And I again, I just can't throw my trust in Joe Barry. Um, yeah, that I'm is a wild, that is a wild card for sure. Um, and I'm you know as good as the offensive line has been, I'm just waiting for. Somebody, but you know, we're not having this playoff issue where you know Rodgers pines for Yash Nyman and then he absolutely sucks. <laughs> you know, this seems different where the coaches know what they're doing and where they're going to put guys, and you know, the scheming has been good. Um, but I, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to go into it with the same expectation that I had against Dallas, which I have none. I'm just going to see what happens. Um, but I know I had a little bit more confidence against Dallas because Green Bay's had more luck against them. San Francisco has owned the Packers more recently, yeah, uh, especially in the postseason. So um, I'm not expecting to win again this game either. Uh, I'm hoping they can have a little bit of a chance and uh, make it competitive. 
Um, but yeah, the opportunity there to play Detroit like we did for Thanksgiving or maybe exact some revenge against Tampa Bay, I mean, that would be spectacular. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, it wouldn't shock me again. I said this before the Dallas game. It wouldn't shock me if the Packers won. I'm certainly not expecting them to. Yeah, I think um, I think most Packer fans would probably <laughs> should be rooting for Tampa because I think that team is not that good. But right. So that leads us to Sunday. Tampa Bay at Detroit. That's the first game Sunday afternoon. Um, I like Detroit in this one. I just think they're gonna, they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, they're at home, you know, uh, I just kind of feel like the Baker Mayfield, I, I feel like with him is similar to Flacco. Like eventually this has kind of got to stop. And I think it stops in Detroit. I love the Matt, like everything about the way that the lions have ascended. And, you know, I, I, I love that the players like Campbell, he seems like a good passionate guy. Um, you know, I think they're a hard-working, blue-collar type team. Um, and and the fact that that franchise is now having a little bit of success. I like a good feel-good story. That's a feel-good story. I don't care if it's in the division. And it's, you know, at the expense of the success of the team that I root for. It's still a good story. And those are the, those are the times that I remember, you know, when I'm, you know, on a ski hill in the early 90s and I'm checking in with the, with the top of the chairlift guy who's listening to the game up in the UP about what the score is. I mean, I still have memories of that. I mean, that, that to me drives this whole thing. That was cool. So I'm, I'm happy for the lions. I hope they go to the NFC championship game. Um, I, I, I just think that that's a, a, a cooler story. I don't, I don't need to see Tampa winning anymore with Baker Mayfield. Then the nightcap. I guess probably the marquee matchup of the weekend, Kansas City at Buffalo. This is like mm-hmm. maybe the third time in the last four years I think they've played in the playoffs. Right. Um, Kansas City has beaten them, I think, both times. And, uh, you know, this this is an interesting legacy game for some of the Chiefs guys. You know, uh, Mahomes has never not made a conference championship Andy Reid, you know, you don't know how much longer he's going to coach. He's getting up there. Um, Josh Allen, Josh Allen needs this badly if he really wants to be in that conversation for, you know, best quarterback in the league, potential Hall of Famer. Um, you got to beat Mahomes. And uh, at home, you know, it's going to be colder than shit. I like Buffalo, man. I think they're going to finally do it. I would say the weather might be a factor, but considering what Kansas City just had to play in, I'm not sure that it's going to matter. I know, but I just think Buffalo, like they're just that's just who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I think if you're them, I'd rather that than have it be 45. But sure. but I don't know. I it's it's kind of like the same thing with the Packers and the Niners. I kind of feel like Buffalo's do like they've been knocking at the door here in the AFC for the last couple years and. And they just haven't been able to to cross the finish line, and I, I don't know. I they've been hot here at the end of the season, kind of like the Packers again. And um, I don't know that Chiefs team just 
They're not they're not the juggernaut they've been. If there's a year to get them, this is the year. Yeah, I'll probably go with Buffalo at home as well. Like you said about KC, it's something different this year. They're just not not the same. And uh, I mean, how can you and I not like a fan base and root for a fan base that's jumping on the flaming tables from ten foot snow piles in the parking lot? Exactly. I mean, come on, folks. If you've ever met either one of us, all you have to do is jump off something high into a table, <laughs> and we will probably be friends. <laughs> it's not hard. It's not tough. No. It's not tough. All right. Um, anything else you got for uh, playoff stuff before we move on to some basketball? No. And I just, b- before I head out and save my voice, I just kind of wanted to get your your Bucks thoughts. I know you're going to dive into it pretty good. Um, uh, but I just kind of want to, you know, I, I tune in here and there and I watch the, the substitutions. And I saw the end of that Sacramento Kings game, which was just unbelievable. I watched. I probably watched the highlight a dozen times just watching different parts of the floor and coaches and players and fans and how cool it was. And then, you know, to see Giannis sit out and the team look like it was completely uh, out off kilter and, and out of sync, even though they had all their other good players on. And, you know, they had a couple of guys in, in double figures, uh, the, just the Cavaliers completely having their way with them. What, you know, is, is this team figuring it out? Do they have a long way to go? What's, what's been so different, even with the addition? Uh, is, is the coaching decision, has that been the wrong one? Like, where, where are you at right now with Milwaukee? Or is it still before All-Star break too early to, to really get worried? Kind of like I do with the Brewers. Well, it is still, it's not too early to get concerned about some things. Um, but it is still, I mean, we're only, we're basically exactly halfway through the season where I think the Bucks are, they've, yeah, they've played 41 games. So they're exactly halfway through the season. Um, I think just to, just to start with last night's game and it's something that is, that we, that I've seen from them several times this year. Um, there's a lack of there's a lack of focus and attention to detail from this team that's really surprising to me considering they're a veteran team. You know, if these guys were all 24, 25, 26 years old, I get it. That happens with, you know, when you're younger, you just take your eye off the ball once in a while. But, like, these guys are all in their 30s. You know, Lopez, Dame, Middleton, Giannis, I think, just turned 30. Bobby Portis is close to 30. Connaughton's in his 30s. Um, to, to come out last night just not ready to play. And you're you're immediately down 22-2. to two. Chris Middleton goes 1-10 for 10 from the floor last night. Um, you didn't hardly get anything out of Brooke Lopez. He was just getting torched. Dame was like 0-8 to start the game. I just, I, I don't. I don't understand that. And and if, you know, you can say, well, Giannis wasn't there. Listen, Giannis wasn't there in the playoffs last year. Giannis wasn't there for a couple of games in the playoffs here. They won the title. Like, it can't always be that Giannis has to be the one to get everybody else ready to go. Um, these guys are pros. These guys are vets. Um, they should be ready to go every night. So, that's so the question would be, well, why aren't they? Well, 
are they being held accountable by the coaching staff? And I don't know. They would have been with Bud. Um, Bud had a reputation. He would bench guys if they pissed him off or weren't doing what he asked. Um, I haven't seen that much from, from Adrian Griffin. And he is a first-year coach, and he is coming into a, a an organization that he's unfamiliar with, so maybe he doesn't feel comfortable doing that. But you just can't have these kind of games. And, and listen, part of this is it's just the NBA now, like, we basically saw this happen last Thursday night when Boston came to Milwaukee. Boston didn't show up. And the Bucks were up 40. And this is what's happening kind of across the league now with, with the way offenses work and the way teams shoot the three. It used to be in the NBA, like, if you got down 20 in the second quarter or the third quarter, like, you could easily come back. Now it's like if you get down 20, you're probably going to be down 30, and then you're just going to take your guys out. Like Boston sat all their starters for the entire second half of that game. They just gave up. So I I don't know, man. I I am concerned about some things. The defense is still not good. Um, You know, Giannis has been great. Yesterday was only the second game he's missed all year. That's awesome. But. It can't, he, you know, that's part of the reason why you got, you, you traded away Holiday to go get Lillard, like, is so Giannis doesn't have to carry that burden. I don't know. Is, is Detroit still on its mammoth losing streak? No, they won one. They might they have, beat? They, they might have even won two. I think they beat Toronto. Oh. Yeah, I think gotcha. they beat Toronto, and then they lost, like, six in a row, and I think they might have won one more. I think they got four wins now, so. So they got two against the, two against the the hot, two against the Pistons, and then the Cavs twice. Little weird quirk in the scheduling. Yeah, including last night, they play the Cavs three times and the Pistons two times in the next ten days. So yeah, very very strange. So maybe that had something to do with last night. I I don't know. I don't know, and it's disappointing because you you destroy Boston last last Thursday. You play Golden State, and you beat them. And then you have that awesome game against Sacramento where Dame hits the buzzer beater in overtime. Like, those are three good wins. Two excellent wins in terms of beating Boston and beating Sacramento. Those are really good teams. And then to just not show up last night, that that's that's tough to swallow. I, I don't. It's hard to explain. I really don't have a good explanation other than, than speculating and... I'm probably dead-ass wrong on what I'm speculating. <laughs> like, we were flipping around the TV, and I'm like, oh, I'll just check in the Bucks game. Like, oh, God, they're down 20, 25 right away. And then we finished watching something, and then I was like, oh, I'll check the end of the Bucks game. Oh, my God, they're down 35. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just not something that I'm used to seeing. And Cleveland, it, they were missing two starters. So, oh. you know, yeah, Giannis was gone, but they had guys out too. That's not an excuse. So, all right, I'll let you run down the rest of the hoops. I'm going to save my voice and duck out so uh, we can call an excellent basketball game on Saturday afternoon. No problem. Thanks for hopping on. Get get some rest, and uh, we'll we'll see you this weekend. All right, buddy. Take see care. Ya. Bye. All right. So the Bucks, twenty eight and thirteen, still second in the East. I think they're uh, a game up. 
in the loss column on Philadelphia right now. Um, as I said, they beat Boston 135-102, beat Golden State 129-118, and beat Sacramento 143-142 in overtime. That was just an awesome game. That was a fun game. I know a lot of people probably didn't see it. It was on Sunday night during the during the NFL playoffs, but for those of you that did, that was just a really fun game to watch. Really high-level basketball. Sacramento's got three dudes in, in Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox, and DeMontis Sabonis who are really good players and uh and that that was a that was a really nice win um you know just to go back to the Boston game it's really kind of funny how predictable this stuff is with the media um as soon as the bucks got up big i knew we were going to start hearing about the fact that boston had played the night before um which was going to be the media's excuse as to why the bucks blew them out um now i do think you know that might have mattered fifteen percent as to why they got their ass kicked. Um, you know, they did play an overtime game the night before, but it was at home, and uh, you know, it's not like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Derek White are exactly old guys. You know, they're all in their mid to late twenties. Um, but I, I thought the real difference in that game was just basically the opposite of what I talked about last night. Was they were ready to play. The Bucks were ready to play. They had energy. They were they were defending. They were playing hard. They were getting to loose balls. The game seemed to really matter to them. And you know, just to get back to what I was talking with Goldberg about with last night's game and why is that happening? That's a real thing too. And and Shaq has talked about that many times. Sometimes you just it's hard to get up for for teams. It just is. And when you're a really good team like the Bucks are and you've got star players like the Bucks do, you know, going to Cleveland on a Wednesday night in January, uh, uh, okay, I guess we got a game. It's not an excuse, but I think it is reality. Um, you know, the bench production for the Bucks has been better as of late. Bobby Portis is... Had a nice little streak here of some of some pretty good games. Uh, Pat Connaughton been playing some backup point guard, which is interesting. Um, Cameron Payne was in the concussion protocol and had to miss a game, and uh, then there was a couple games where he just didn't play him play much. And Pat was doing some ball handling duties, which was interesting. It's a little bit of an adventure. I don't know that I would love that in the playoffs, but. You know, it does help out a little in the regular season to give guys like Dame and, and Middleton and Giannis a break from having to bring the ball up. But the the guy that's been a little bit of a, a revelation again here this week has been Andre Jackson Jr. Um, getting a lot more playing time. I think he's certainly moved ahead of, of Bochamp in the rotation. He's just really smart. And uh, he's not afraid. He's not intimidated. He's not super skilled at the at this moment in terms of you know being able to score, but he defends. He defends hard. He fouls too much, but that happens with young guys. Um, he can rebound. He's an excellent passer at, for his position. So, um, and and you know the vets seem to to really have a lot of respect for him and and like to have him on the floor. So that's an interesting proposition going forward. Is that somebody that Adrian Griffin would trust in a playoff series, especially as the rounds get later, 
And now we have to factor in last night, Jay Crowder came back off of his uh, abductor surgery where he missed basically, I think they said 31 games, so about two months. Um, you know, where, where is he going to fit back into the rotation? Is he going to bump Jackson Jr. down and bump Bochamp further down? Um, that remains to be seen. So nice to have Jay back, though. He's a smart player. He brings a, a, a toughness, a grit that that the Bucks are missing at times. So it's nice to see him back and healthy. Um, this week, as I said, Saturday at Detroit. Um, Sunday again versus the, the Pistons as well. And then next Wednesday, they got the Cavs again at home. And next Friday, the Cavs again at home. So a little weird quirk in the schedule here uh, going forward for the next 10 days. Um, just, uh, you know, the trade deadline is second week of February. So we're, we're fast approaching that time. We're a little less than a month away. Just wanted to talk about buck possibilities here. There's not a lot to get into because they just don't have much roster flexibility right now. But one that I did see floated out there was, um, the bucks getting Royce O'Neal from Brooklyn. Who's a big wing defender can knock down threes, and it had them sending out Connaughton and a pick, probably a second rounder to Brooklyn for Royce O'Neal. Don't love it. Don't hate it. Um, you know, would hate to see Connaughton go. But listen, if the Bucks are going to make a trade, unfortunately I think Pat's going to be the guy that gets shipped out because contractually it just makes the most sense. Uh, Bobby Portis has a trade uh, a trade clause, a trade kicker, I believe, in his contract. Um, and I just think he's too valuable. I, I don't think you would I don't think you could get back at the deadline what you would need to get back for a Bobby Portis. So so Pat might be the guy. The other thing to look at again with the Bucks, and we've seen it the last couple years, is the buyout market. And um, you know, usually that'll happen after the the trade deadline, you'll see some veteran guys uh, be out on the market because of where the bucks are salary wise with the luxury tax. They can only sign somebody off of the buyout market who made, who was, who was previously making like 12, 12 and a half million. Um, the example that I heard used was if the Charlotte Hornets were to buy out Gordon Hayward, who makes 30 million, the bucks could not sign him because he makes too much money. Um, the guy to keep your eye on if he were to get bought out is a familiar face, P.J. Tucker. Um, the Bucks have been rumored to be interested in reacquiring him. He's currently on the Clippers, not playing very much because when you're on a team with James Harden, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Kawhi Leonard, there's just not a lot of opportunities to get on the floor at that wing position. So um, could easily see him getting bought out. The Bucks and the Suns are the two teams to watch if he's available. Not sure he'd come back to the Bucks. I don't think he was real happy with how um, that ended in Milwaukee with them not offering him a contract. So um, I think it's a long shot to see him back. It would be, it would be nice. It would be interesting to see a, a team with Jay Crowder, Bobby Portis, and P.J. Tucker all on the same team, like three of the biggest agitators in the NBA. <laughs> uh, there, there'd be some serious. There'd be a lot of technical fouls in the playoffs on the Bucks if if those three guys are all on the team. So 
we shall see what happens going forward. All right, just to kind of go around the league a little bit, Boston's still leading the East. Uh, they are at 32-9. and Minnesota's still leading the West at 29-11. and um, In the East, as I said, the Bucks are second. They're one game ahead of the, the Sixers. Uh, Cleveland is in fourth. Knicks in fifth. Miami in sixth. Those teams are only separated by two games. Right now, your playing is Indiana, who just uh, made a big trade in acquiring Pascal Siakam from the Raptors. So uh, Indiana is a, is a dangerous team in the East. I really, I really hope the Bucks don't end up drawing them in the first round. That would be a horrific matchup, um, both on the floor and as far as coaching goes, because Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches in basketball. Orlando sitting at the eighth spot. And then somehow the Bulls and Atlanta are in the 9-10 spot. Both those teams stink. And then after that, the rest of the East is a, is, is a debacle. Out west, Oklahoma City, two games behind Minnesota, as is defending champion Denver. Clippers, one game behind the Nuggets at 26-14. and 14. Pelicans, 25-17, and 17, are in fifth. And Sacramento, 23-17 and 17 and six. Right now, your play-in is a, is a pretty damn good 24-18 and 18 Dallas team. Um, Kyrie has been playing really good basketball. So has Luka. He's certainly one of the front runners for the MVP. Uh, Phoenix still hanging around in the eighth spot at 22-18. and 18. Utah has won six straight. They've vaulted themselves into the ninth spot. And the Lakers uh, sitting at 21-21 in the tenth spot, the final play-in spot. Uh, currently a game ahead of Houston and two games ahead of Golden State. So... Um, Speaking of Golden State, it, it might be over for them. It might be over. Steph Curry's still great, but everybody else on that team is kind of a shell of what they were. Doesn't break my heart. I'm kind of tired of, of that team anyway. Um, just a couple of kind of random things here about about the NBA. The Bulls the other day had a ring of honor ceremony, which was really weird because they inducted a bunch of people. And including in those were, I think, the 96 Bulls, Kukoch, Pippen, Jordan, Phil Jackson, Steve Kerr. They did it um, on the night Golden State played the Bulls, so Kerr was there. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, of course. Jerry Krause, who's since passed on, his wife was there in his stead. And... uh Jordan didn't show up, gave a video uh, announcement. Pippen did not show up, not sure if he had a video or not. Um, That's disappointing that they didn't show up. I mean, it, it, it says a lot about how that all ended, and we got a taste of it in the last dance. Um, there's still a lot of bitter feelings there from from Pippen and from Jordan. Not not certainly towards each other after what Scottie Pippen has said about Michael Jordan in the last couple of years, but obviously there's there's some hard feelings towards the organization. And um Jerry Krause, when he was announced, um the fans booed him. And as I said, he has since passed on. And his wife had to sit there and listen to him get booed. She started crying. Bulls announcers ripped their own fans. Um, yeah, not a not a good night. Not a good night for the Bulls on a, on a night that was supposed to be celebrating um, the the Jordan Pippen 
Phil Jackson era. I don't think Rodman was there either. I don't think any of those guys showed up. Phil Jackson showed up. But, um, yeah, very, very strange. Very strange. Um, another strange thing, for some reason, Carmelo Anthony has decided that he's mad that after, like, seven years in the league that Jokic is wearing Carmelo's old number from Denver. Carmelo has said that Denver's trying to erase him from the franchise. Um, well, listen, dude, you demanded out. You demanded a trade out of Denver. So I don't know why you think they owe you anything. Obviously, you're 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 barking up the tree of you think your number should be retired, and you're going to be one of these guys from this generation that because you did all this team hopping, you have no home, so I'm not sure who's going to retire your number, even though you're a Hall of Famer. Um, it reminds me a lot of Ray Allen with the Bucks. Now, Ray Allen didn't ask out, but Giannis wears Ray Allen's number. And when 34 goes into the rafters, it's going to say Honor to Kumpo. It's not going to say Allen. And um, it's weird, right? Because on one hand, I, I, I get the retiring of a number, and, and it is cool. But does retiring a number really mean that no one can ever wear that number again? Because there's only so many numbers, right? You know, there's certain numbers that, um, the NBA doesn't really want you to use. Like, they don't want no, somebody to be number 78. It's just hard when the referee walks over to the scorer's table. It can be confusing when you're throwing up sevens and eights. They don't really love that. Um, so, I don't know. It's 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 a strange thing to get upset about. It's a strange time for Carmelo to get upset about it, considering how long Jokic has been in the league. And, and Jokic has been a better player than Carmelo was. Jokic just won a title in Denver, which Carmelo didn't do. So I, I don't know, just very strange, very petty, very strange. All right, let's move on to some college hoops before we get out of here. Um, Marquette drops down to number 17. They're sitting at 12-5 and five overall. They, uh, they lost at home to Butler 69-62 last week in what was a pretty disgusting game um, that was marred by some pretty serious injuries on the Marquette side. And then uh, Monday afternoon, they beat Villanova at home, 87-74. You know, I've been asked by some people, what's going on with Marquette? What's going on with Tyler Kolick? Um, Well, unfortunately, right now, this team is really banged up. Um, Chase Ross, who's their top bench player, he's out for at least the rest of this month with a shoulder injury. Um, In the Butler game... Sean Jones, who is their backup point guard, one of the best defensive players in the Big East, tore his ACL out for the year. Stevie Mitchell, who is their one of their starting guards, uh, one of the best defensive players in the Big East, he's been in and out of the lineup battling ankle injuries. So um, this team that had the opportunity to be eight deep um, now is really about six deep. And... Um, it's put a lot of pressure on on Tyler Kolick, Cam Jones, and Oso Iguodaro to do all the scoring and all the playmaking. And 
you know, defenses have adjusted to that. And Kolick is really, he's struggling with his shot right now. I think he was like one and one for 12 or something in the Butler game. He was awful. He seems to have righted the ship a little bit in the Villanova game. Um, you know, uh, Cam Jones, who was an excellent three point shooter his first two years at Marquette, has really struggled this year. And uh, Igadaro, nice player, but he's not exactly a guy you're going to throw the ball to and tell him to go get you 20. So they're hoping some of these these two freshmen that they've got, Zade Lowry and Trey Norman, who had kind of played sparingly um, up until this point, they're now going to be thrust into this eight-man rotation. So it's going to be those two guys and Ben Gold off the bench um, with the five starters. Um, yeah, it, it's after a really, really exciting and promising start to the season, um, it's not going well right now, and and Shaka's got his work cut out for him because, as I've said many times, this Big East this year is a gauntlet, and uh, it doesn't get any easier for them this week. Saturday they got to travel to to St. John's, the Rick Patino coach St. John's, who have been pretty good this year and have a very very good big guy, and big guys have kind of destroyed Marquette all year long, and then Wednesday they go to DePaul which is, you know, it's it's kind of like DePaul is for Marquette basketball. It's the same thing that Northwestern is for Wisconsin football. It's just a house of horrors. It doesn't even matter if that team's any good. They always seem to beat our team. Um, so that's that's certainly a, a worrisome one for, for the Golden Eagles next Wednesday. And, you know, it, it's, it's just you don't realize it sometimes until you get partway into these seasons, and then you kind of think back on it. But Marquette really mixes misses Omax Prosper. Um, you know, he was a guy last year, 6'8", kind of a pogo stick, great athlete, could guard every position, could play inside and out. And uh, the most important thing he did, though, was he put everybody in the right position. David Joplin is a nice player, <clears throat> but he's a much more effective player playing 18 minutes a game coming off the bench shooting threes. Then he is playing 28 minutes starting for you and having to guard the other team's four man. It's just different. You know, it, 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 it's, it's like Dallas. It's like the Cowboys. Tony Pollard was great last year when he was the change of pace back behind Ezekiel Elliott, but then they get rid of Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard becomes the every down back. And yeah, he's not as good. He's still all right, but he ain't what he was last year when he was, coming off the bench. so. But that happens, you know. That happens. That happens with graduation. That happens when guys go pro. And, you know, the good teams are able to reload. And, uh, unfortunately for Marquette, um, injuries have taken a toll here in the middle of the season. So we'll see if they can get past it. Uh, Badgers came in at number 11 this week, 13-4 uh, and four now. They beat Northwestern the other day at home, 71-63. And uh, then... Uh, I think it was Tuesday night, uh, lost at Penn State, 87-83. I watched a lot of that game. Chucky Hepburn was awful. Played 37 minutes, 0 for 4 from the field, no points, one rebound, five assists. I mean, if he gives them anything, they win that game. Um, that's not a very good Penn State team. I think the Badgers had to be really, really disappointed to come out of there with a, with a loss. Now, listen, I'm not getting on them at all. This is league play. This is conference season. You're There's a reason why it's damn near impossible 
to go undefeated in a power conference in basketball. It's just too many teams, too many games. And this was just one of those nights where things weren't going well for you and everything went right for them and they snuck one out at the end on you. So Badger fans don't need to get too too wound up about that one. I will say that uh, Blackwell, though, nice player. I like him. I like him. He's 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 done nice things for for Bucky this year. This week the Badgers have uh, they're uh, at home against Indiana Friday, and then they travel to Minnesota to play the Gophers Tuesday. Um, just a side note: I've never cared less about the AP basketball poll than I do this year. Like it, it just doesn't matter. Um. I mean, I, I saw one, I think, in the coaches' poll this week before the Badgers lost. They were, like, up to eight. Like, eight? Really? Like, they're having a nice season, but they're they're not the eighth-best team in the country. Um, frankly, Marquette being at 17, they, they considering a couple of these losses they got, Seton Hall and Butler, I'm not sure that that's top 25 worthy. Um, but whatever, it is what it is. It's January Polls don't matter much. Uh, bracketology. Had Marquette as a four seed in the Midwest. Had the Badgers as a two seed in the East. I, that, I, I, I get it. They're, they're, they were the number one Big Ten team outside of Purdue. And uh, Joe Lenardi loves Big Ten teams. But a two seed for the Badgers, that seems like a stretch. At least at this point in the season. Marquette a four. I have a feeling they're probably going to end up being on that five line, um, which is crazy when they were ranked third in the country at one point. But that you know, that's how this goes, man. College basketball—it's a long season. Injuries get into conference. It's tough, man. It's tough. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Intentional Foul. Glad to have Goldberg hop on with us. Over the phone for a little bit. I had to get his take on the Packers. I knew he'd be pretty fired up to talk about that. So that was great to get. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's all we got. Hope everybody has a good weekend watching some football. Get a chance to maybe watch some some Bucks, some Badgers, some Marquette as well. But, um, yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll check in next week. I'm sure Goldberg will be back. Until then, tell your friends. And we'll see you down the road.